Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Hi there. How are you all? You do, all doing well? I'm one of those really annoying preachers that likes to engage with the congregation. I'm very sorry, but you're going to have to answer. <laughs> How are you doing? Great. Good. All the better now, eh? I've just worked out 10% of one of these is half a chunk. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced I can give away half a chunk of a Yorkie. Anyway, it's really great to be here. I bring greetings from the church in Madrid. Uh, we love, love, love coming here to Westminster Chapel. I've uh, been here a few times. Every time it's been a really, really warm welcome. Uh, our kids love this church, although they're not with us this time around. Uh, in fact, our son William uh, is hoping to do a year in England in his studies next year, and he's praying that he can get a place in London so that he can come to this church just to come to this church. He absolutely loves it. I'm just looking for some verses. Um, oh, I'm terrible at this. I'm also on WhatsApp at the same time, <laughs> by accident. Um, if you have a Bible, you could turn as well with me to Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to read it for a while, but it's worth finding it. While you're looking, I have a word association game to play. Uh, you know word association game? I say a word, you have to come up with one word that you associate with this word. So what one word would you associate with the word God? It's quite a biggie. <laughs> Saviour, Father, Holiness. Holiness. I mean, obviously it's a biggie. There's quite a broad range of words that we could come up with. How you respond to that one question might, be, might well be the most important thing about you. Uh, I think it was A.W. Tozer said, what we think when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's, uh, the reason it's the most important thing is because what we think about God affects every other part of life. Even if you think he doesn't exist, it will affect every part of your life. I don't know if you remember um, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins' advert campaign in the noughties on the side of the buses, there is probably no God, which wasn't a particularly convincing phrase in itself. There's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy life. So for Richard Dawkins, he understands that one of the most important things about us is what we think about God. And if you believe he doesn't exist, you can stop worrying and enjoy life. Now, I have good news for you today, because the Bible doesn't believe in the God that Dawkins doesn't believe in either. <laughs> it's to say it sounds like quite a grumpy God, uh, miserable, bit of a killjoy, just uh, obsessed with rules and regulations. So you can stop thinking about him, stop worrying and enjoy life. Well, the good news is the Bible doesn't believe in the same God either. In fact, sorry? Amen. 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 Ah, that you're interacting. I'm not used to this. This is great. So maybe the question we could ask then is, in one word... How would we, the Bible, summarize 
God. I mean, obviously, this is quite subjective. You know, the Bible's a big, big book, and it tells us quite a lot about God, and we've got to somehow pick one word from it. But what would it be? Well, probably for me, quite possibly, it would be Father. If you think about it, God's most profound revelation of himself, his moment of greatest self-revelation to us, was when he sent his son to come and reveal himself to us. John, in the book of John, it says, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Goes on to say a few words, a few lines later, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So when God chose to reveal himself to us, what he did is he sent his Son to show us that he's Father. So when we think about God, is it that word that comes to mind? Because that, in essence, is who he is. We could ask the question in this way. What is God like from all eternity? What's he been doing before creation even began? You see, because we need to probably go there to understand the nub, the essence his foundational identity, because anything else is how he relates to creation. King of kings, Lord of lords. is a great title for God, but it needs other kings and other lords. (laughs) Uh, It's how he relates to creation. So what was he like before creation in all of eternity? Well, once again, in John, we discover Jesus saying this. A few hours before the cross... He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, possibly one of the most holy moments in Scripture. The moment before the key of all history, and we find the Father and the Son in communication, intimate conversation. And here's what Jesus says to the Father in verse 24. It says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So Jesus, the eternal son, reveals to us that for all eternity, he and the father have been in this loving, life-giving, joy-filled, glorious, magnificent relationship. The Father constantly loving and begetting the Son. The Son constantly loving and obeying the Father. He is Father. It's the essence of who He is. He is foundationally in His identity, Father. Now that's important because it means that, um, oh, actually I'll, I'll quote Mike Reeves. Mike Reeves says this, I love this quote, a fountain is, not a fount- is, is a fountain because it pours forth water. Well, God is Father because for all eternity he has poured forth in loving and begetting the Son. He is Father. 
And it's, it's who he is. It's not a human analogy that we use to kind of understand something that's incomprehensible. Oh, he's like a father to try and help. No, 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 no. He is father. And therefore, the whole of creation comes out of him and it affects the whole of creation. That's why he, God could say in the, in the beginning of man, he said it's not good for him to be alone. Why? Well, for all eternity, God has not been alone. A man is made in his image. It's important for us because it means we're made, our source of all our creation is a father. Give shape to everything that we are. It means Father's Day that we're celebrating today actually goes to the very heart of the human experience. We all long for the love of the Father and our hearts will be restless until we find it. It also means that we can, the family unit, father, mother, kids, are an essential part of the creation order. So when that breaks down, what happens is it leaves us with terrible, terrible consequences. It's not just an aside, actually, it's devastating. There's a a US-based organization, nolongerfatherless.org. Some of their statistics are horrific. They're mostly US statistics, but I think they're comparative to the UK. It says 85% of youths in prison, 71% of US high school dropouts, 60% of youth suicide all come from houses without a father. You see, the human experience is we long for the love of a father, and it's devastating when we don't experience it. It's our deepest need because the source of all creation is Father. Now listen, it's one thing to understand God as holy or judge or, or to think of him as headmaster, a little bit strict. It's another thing altogether to comprehend him as Father. This is transformative truth. If we start to actually recognize God as Father. Uh, I think it was John Calvin wrote this. He was writing without reference. When we think without reference to God being Father, he says, then the only bare and empty name of God flits about in our brains to the exclusion of the true God. (laughs) I love that because many people just think God. It's kind of this unrealistic, unknowable idea. Actually, God is Father. And so we need to comprehend him, not just theologically that he is Father, we need to know him as Father, even more so because our earthly fathers are an imperfect reflection of who he is. And because they're an imperfect reflection, we have all failed. Some of us have failed miserably. Some of us are living with the consequences of fathers who maybe were abusive or distant or cold. So we don't take the model of that fatherhood to try and reflect it and understand what God is. No, 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 no. God is father and therefore he's the model for all our fatherhood. So I'd like us to look a little bit at what it means for God to be father. What is that like? How does he relate? What is God as father like? And I would like to turn to 
A very famous story, it's, uh, it's in Luke chapter 15, which I think you're probably already there by now, aren't you? If you're not, you've taken quite some time to get there, so you're probably never going to find it. Luke chapter 15 is a very famous story, it's the story of the prodigal son, uh, although it's not at all about the well, it is about the son, of course it's about the son, but it's not even about two sons, which is how Tim Keller described the story very helpfully to help us understand that this is a story about two different sons who were both lost. Actually, essentially, this is a story about the father with two sons. You know, the most commentators say when we read this, for the early people who originally heard this story, it would have been a shocking story. It would have... It would have surprised them, stunned them. And it's not stunned them because the son is wayward. And he kind of wanders off and kind of is a bit embarrassing for the rest of the family. That's not the surprising story. You know, every culture, every generation, every community has had some experience of a son wrecking it for the rest of the family and being wayward. You know, it's what all the gossips talk about, isn't it? It's like, have you heard so-and-so is... Have you heard what he did? Oh, yeah, I know, I know. I always knew there was something wrong with that family. That's what they say about us. But it's not that. We all know that. The gossips love those stories. What's shocking about this story is the father. He's the one that's stunning in this story. He's the one that takes all surprises. So I'm going to read the story But I'm going to read it from the perspective of the father. I'm going to skip most of what we look at in this story and just look at how the father responds. And you know, as it's shocking for the early believers, early hearers of this story, it should shock us. I've been struggling with this message because I struggle to believe that God can be like this. But we need to understand this is the eternal son who's known his father for all eternity and he's come to reveal the father so let's see what it says it says and he said verse 11 there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of property that is coming to me now at that point I'm not sure how you would respond if that was your son who said to you, I wish you were dead, or even worse, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my cash. Let me go. I'm not sure how you would respond. I certainly wouldn't respond like this father. And he divided his property between them. I mean, what sort of a response is that? It's scandalous. I would have been, there's the door, there's your bag, go, and maybe don't come back. He doesn't. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like open-handed, incredibly gracious. He divided his property between us. It's not to say that God doesn't hate sin. We're going to see the cross in a little while. God hates sin. It's not to say that he's just, oh, it doesn't matter. He's not this benevolent father who's... But what it does mean is that sin doesn't stop his incredible, loving graciousness towards us. 
Let me ask you again. How do you see God? What do you think when you think of God? Incredibly gracious. So he goes on. We're not going to see the father for a while, so I'm going to read through this very rapidly. It says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. In London, probably. And when he had spent everything, definitely in London... A severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This is Jewish culture, that wouldn't have been nice. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, before we see how the father responds, I just want to emphasize this boy has lost everything. You know, the story is deliberately brings in the pigs and he's willing to eat the pigs' pods to say this is, he is lost. He is at the lowest of the possible lows. He's lost everything but one thing. He never lost the love of the father because the father, it says, did this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, it's quite difficult to it's quite difficult to um, recognize someone from afar. You know, you have to know them pretty well to recognize them from afar. And this son is not coming back in the way he left. He's not his buoyant, cocky young self. This boy has learned a lesson or two in life. He's coming back a broken man. But the father is vigilant. He's there, he sees him from afar off, and he sees beyond his external circumstances to see the value of his true son. He is wonderfully, lovingly attentive towards his son. You know, there's a church in Madrid that um, does a lot of outreach to people with addiction, addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs. They're an amazing church, they've been going for decades. They have an incredible story, they're called Betel. And uh, most of the church, over a thousand people, uh, most of the church have come out of that background. So they have a lot of experience, a lot of experience. And they've seen, obviously, the devastating effects of drug addiction, which can bring people to the very lowest of lows, a very terrible experience. In fact, they've written a book. I love the book. And in the book, it's got some pictures. That's why I love the book, (laughs) by the way. Intellectual, I'm not. And in one of the pictures, they have the picture of this man coming in for the first day to the addiction center. His name's Javi. He was taken in 1989. And what's striking about this is somehow in this picture, they have captured how devastating 
the fall is into addiction. It's almost like he's not human. It's not just the matted hair. It's not just the beard. It's not just the torn and dirty clothes. It's not... It's the look in his eye. It's the way he holds himself. This man has been broken. That was in 1989. Javi Gonzalez leads Bethel Church, a church of over a thousand people today. You see, the father can see beyond our external circumstances. What that means is that no matter how far you have wandered, no matter how lost you have become, no matter how broken you may feel, the Father sees what he's created and the value of the Son. I want to ask you again, what do you think of when you think of God? How many of us think, well, we just work hard to try and get the love of the Father? Listen, it's not the repentance of the son that brings the father to love him. It's the love of the father that brings the son to repentance. How many of us see God as father? How many of us are trying to work for our salvation? How many of us believe that God could love fulano, that's what they say in Spanish, so and so, but struggle to believe that God could love us? Why? Because we've seen the dark depths of our hearts. He is lovingly vigilant and attentive. Thirdly, he's passionately involved. It then says, same verse, he felt compassion and ran. Now you need to understand, this culture is an honor-shame culture. And the honor of this man has been damaged gravely by his son. For probably years, the community would have been talking about the lack of dignity left about this man because the way his son treated him. Now, how do you restore that? How do you restore dignity and honor in a culture like that? Well, when he returns, the son, what you don't do is you don't hoist up your ropes and run with all your might towards the son. In an honor culture, shame culture, you are pretty stony-faced. Enjoying the moment, but there's no smile on the face. Do you understand? Some of us are from these honor-shame cultures. It's the Middle East. He ran, bare-legged. I mean, once again, the eyebrows of this community would be raised. Now, why? Why did he run? Well, the key is in this word, he felt compassion. You know, it's not a word in English, he felt compassion. What does that mean? You know, he had a slight, slight emotional bump along the road. It's not that. Felt compassion is basically what happens when you are torn in half inside. I don't know if you've ever seen the image of someone, a baby, or someone... Do you remember that little boy, that little um, refugee coming out of Syria that died? And I remember it being on all the newspapers, this tiny image of this tiny boy. And I think all of us felt, oh! That is, he felt compassion. 
incredibly deeply moved. You know, when I was um, a new father, my firstborn, she was born premature. She was nine weeks early. She spent her first six weeks in an incubator. She was tiny. We had to put doll's clothes on her to dress her. She was that small. She could fit almost in the palm of your hand. She was tiny, tiny, tiny. But, you know, we called her the plucked chicken. She still looks a little bit like... No, she doesn't. She's a beautiful, beautiful 20-year-old now. But... Do you know, this tiny thing, as soon as I saw her as her father, I was just so deeply, deeply moved. I knew I would move heaven and earth for her well-being. That's something of what we see here. His father. How many of us see God as distant? Just ignoring Time and time again in the Gospels, it says that Jesus felt compassion. It's the same word. And if you've seen Jesus, said Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is passionately involved in your life. You can see why I'm struggling with this, can't you? I I struggle to see God this way. Fourthly, he's outrageously affectionate. The next thing the father, it says of the father, he embraced him and kissed him. Literally means he fell on his neck. I'm not going to spend long on this one, but men, I know we're taught that we're supposed to be tough. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we're not affectionate. Do you know what your kids most need from you? Yeah, they need discipline. Of course they do. Do you know what they most need from you? Affection. They need to know you love them. They need hugs. They need praise. They need to be rejoiced in. My dad was a great dad, actually. When I look back, I think, I did well. He provided, he did so many things, but he didn't do affection. Men, we need to be affectionate. Number five. I'm rushing that one because I want to get to this one. He's extremely... Forgiving. Now, you need to remember that back in verse 11, he divided the property between them. Okay, that's a third probably to the younger son and two-thirds to the older son. That's probably how it would have happened in those days. So the younger son has squandered a whole third of the father's estate. That's costly. Very, very costly. But as the son returns... And before he even gets a chance to try and say, this is the restitution, this is how I'm going to repay, before he even gets a chance of that, verse, uh, uh, I'm not sure what verse it is, I'm going to have to find it. Here it is. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to read just a bit before that. When he came to himself, he said, uh, we've done that bit, haven't we? Uh, Verse 20. While he was still a long way off. Here we go. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. The father brings out the best of everything. The best clothes 
to cover his shame, the ring which brings the father's authority, shoes which represent his prosperity and his freedom. He's a free man and the fattened calf to celebrate. Let's bring the very best of everything. Best clothes, best ring, best shoes, fattened calf. You know, if we see God as judge or some headmaster type figure or some policeman, we will always relate to him on those kind of terms. Rules and regulations, being obedient, being the best possible citizen that we could possibly be. If we see God as father, salvation is something altogether different. It's being welcomed into the bosom of a family. A family that existed for all eternity. A a family that has the very best to offer us. No expense spared. We are welcomed into a home. We become heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We receive the spirit of adoption by whom you and I cry, Abba, Father. Now we need to understand that forgiveness like that, to wipe it all away and receive us in that way, well, it's, it's for the son, is free. But it's not without cost. It's very costly. Someone breaks your iPhone, either they pay for it or you pay for it. But someone has to pay for it. Okay, maybe you don't get a new iPhone. Well, you've paid for it. (laughs) Someone pays for it. It's, It's how it works. That's how forgiveness is. It is costly. That's why it's so rare to ask for forgiveness because you know it's been costly for them. And that's why it's so rare to forgive and give forgiveness. It's costly. You need to understand that. Now, remember, the Father has divided it between them. So really, the two-thirds that is left and where the party comes from and what the son once again enters into is really the older son. It's the older son, we realize, is paying the price. (laughs) It's his cost. It's on his expense, which is probably why he reacts the way he does. He gets grumpy. He says, this is unjust. This isn't fair. He needs to repay what he's done. And he stays outside of the... That's, That's what religion does. And he represents religion. Somehow you've got to repay before you can come back into the bosom of the Father. However, we have a different brother. The one who's actually telling the story, Jesus. The one who he himself has experienced the joy and the fellowship with the Father for all eternity. The one who has known the love of God the Father for all eternity and isn't just keeping it to himself, wants as many as possible that can experience it, wants to welcome them in. He who himself came on behalf of the Father to pay the price for you and me so that we could experience it. That there on the cross, he bore all 
the sin, all the shame. He took it upon himself, naked and torn, and suffered the wrath of God for your and my sin. He paid it all so that you and I could experience the love of the Father. He is outrageously forgiving. How many of us struggle to forgive ourselves? Struggle to believe that God could possibly forgive me? It's understandable. We're living with a human experience. It's difficult. It's costly. We need to understand the Father. He's outrageously forgiving. There's people here today, people who are listening, you have never known the love of the Father. Today, He's revealing Himself to you. It is who He is. It's not just God, some distant entity. God is Father. And He's calling you home. It's your day. It's your day to know him and to enter into that experience. It's your day. It's your day to say, I'm coming back. Can we just bow our heads for a second? I'm going to pray a prayer. But while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I would like... If you are that person who you need to know the love of the Father for the first time, you've never experienced God, I'd like you to raise your hand if if you want to enter into a relationship with him. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you for raising your hand. Is there anyone else? Anyone else here? God is revealing himself to you. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him as father. He loves you and has loved you from all eternity. Just raise your hand. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I just want you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. Say amen at the end. Just raise your hand now. Father, Father, thank you. I come to you, I recognize in this story I am the younger son. And I come to you for forgiveness. Lord, I know in everything myself I want to repay. But Lord, I know I haven't got what it takes. But I thank you that your son came to die for me. And I thank you that that is everything. You've paid the price for everything, Lord. And I receive that forgiveness by faith in Jesus. And I receive sonship. And I receive adoption. And I receive your love by faith in Jesus Christ. I say today, Lord, I'm coming back into the family. It will change my life. But Lord, thank you that I can celebrate with the Father. Amen. Amen. Very good. Um, if you raised your hand, uh, it would really be worth, there's a couple of people at least I saw, 
uh, it would be really worth chatting to someone afterwards and just bringing what you've done and what you've, the decision you've made to just someone else, maybe someone you know, someone who's invited you or one of the leaders Andy can help or someone else. That would be really excellent. Just to finish, um, I think I've got time. I've got time, a couple of minutes. <clears throat> one more thing, not quite at the end of the story. He goes on to say this about the father. Now his oldest son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing, called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, there are many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property and with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, final part of the story, what happens is you realize that the older son is now the one bringing dishonor to the father, you know, to stay outside of the party when all of the community are there and he's there grumpy in the field, he's dishonoring the father. Now, once again, what does the father do? He goes out to him and entreats him. I mean, it's incredible. Once again, eyebrows would be raised. That's how they put it in England, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's the shock. You just see a raised eyebrow a little bit. But it's shocking. What does it tell us about God? He is always, always patient. Some of us have known God for quite a while. You know, when we first became Christians, we maybe entered into that grace-filled moment. Jesus has welcomed us in. It's all done by Jesus. Jesus has paid the price, and we came running in. It's so excited. But we've got a few days down the road, and we realize that God doesn't immediately sort all our problems. I'm still imperfect. I know. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And I fail on a regular basis. And what tends to happen as you just get to know God after a while and become quite common with him, you forget how incredibly shocking he is. You start to act more like a servant, which is what the son does, instead of like a son. So for some of us, it's not the first time, it's many times. I believe that God today gave me this message mostly for us, that we need to be restored to understand the shocking reality of who he is. He is always patient. He's outrageously forgiving, outrageously affectionate. He's passionately involved. He's lovingly attentive, and he is incredibly gracious. Father, thank you for you revealing yourself to us. I just come, Lord, and I want to pray that you would take words that are truth from Scripture, but allow these seeds to arrive in our hearts. Lord, we want to not just know of God as Father, we want to know Him 
as Father. We want to have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, restore to us, Lord. Restore to us the joy of salvation. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.